the first steps to starting your own business on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by SEM Rush. Started in 2008 with one mission, to make online competition fair and transparent with equal opportunities for all. To find out how SEM Rush can help you compete with the big boys, go to servenomaster.com backslash SEM Rush today. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. I want to welcome you to a new mini-series for the Serve No Master Podcast. This is called the Be Your Own Boss series, and this is part one. Hello, neighbor rooster. Let's you know I'm in the garden. There's a bird singing. There's one dog at my feet. My kids were just out here, but they were going crazy on the volume, so they're playing inside while we have a little time together. And I'll do my best to move away from the noise. It's almost impossible. You think when you move to an island that it's going to be so quiet, but you never really realize what quiet means until you want to record something, and then it becomes something impossible to achieve. If I try to record inside, the fan and the air conditioner are either so loud that I can't record, or if I turn them off, I'm sweating so bad that I start to see stars by the end of the recording. So I appreciate you bearing me with me as we work through this happy medium. You might have even just heard my youngest son there going super loud. They're excited. They love to hang out together. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about is the idea of high risk, high reward. When you're your own boss, it's like operating on a trapeze without a net. You have total responsibility for your destiny. And this can either be a great boon or something very terrifying. I've always been afraid of starting my own business. You wouldn't think that because I've done it so many times. In fact, this business I started when I was 29 years old, a little over 10 years ago, and I did it because I got fired. And I thought, how could I ever be an entrepreneur? Looking back at my life, I began dabbling in entrepreneurship around the age of 12 years old. So I actually have always played around with entrepreneurship, started side business, but never thought I could run my own business. I often used my side businesses to get hired by someone else. I started multiple tutoring agencies in the hopes of getting hired by someone else to work for their tutoring agency. And I would just become a tutor for someone else. But because I came in and kind of was an independent contractor, they'd pay me a higher amount. But I never really thought, you know what, this is something I can totally do, that I could totally operate without a net. So I understand that fear. And it comes from the way our country educates, the way most of the Western world educates, is it trains us to be employees. The main things you learn in college, if you really talk to the high-level people, is that you learn how to turn stuff in on time, you learn how to work projects on time, you learn how to show up on time. That's what they're trying to teach you. That's employee talk. You know what time I get up every day? When I feel like it. I get up twice a day. Because of where I live, there's no internet during the daytime. The internet turns on right around midnight. So every night, my watch or my phone, I have my phone alarm, it goes off at 12.10 and 12.40. If I miss the first one, I have the second one. No one checks if I sleep through the whole night, if I sleep through my alarm. There's nobody out there to call me or to check in on me or see what happened. When you're your own boss, when you're in charge of your own destiny, when you have that level of control, you have freedom, but you also have responsibility. And that can be very scary because we're not an entrepreneurial culture anymore. Sure, we have a small segment of the population that dabbles in inventing or dabbles in entrepreneurship, but you're not going to learn entrepreneurship in high school or in college. Well, for- unfortunately, we're mostly taught how to work for other people. And part of that is that the majority of the jobs, the majority of our economy works based on large companies. Every market goes through shrinking and growth cycles where they have fragmentation and then they have merging. Someone becomes the biggest company, they buy everyone else. And it goes, entrepreneurs, employees, entrepreneurs, employees. And then eventually that company gets so big, it might fracture again and then reconverge. But we're in a cycle right now in time in our economy where most companies are large conglomerates. The majority of our population works for that. And 
what we feel, the reason we like working for large companies is a sense of security. We get a warm, fuzzy feeling inside knowing there's someone looking out for me. I had an employee who didn't work out last year and she said, I don't like working somewhere where I know if we don't make enough money, we can't pay everyone's salary every week. And that told me this was someone who'd never really paid attention. When you work at a large enough company, you don't see the connection between your work and the money coming in. And what we have is a false sense of our value. You might not know it, but at the top of the company, every person's salary, what they're looking at is how much revenue are you generating? If you're not in a revenue generating part of the business, they're looking at, is your work supporting the revenue parts of the business? Every company at a certain size starts to have an IT department. I certainly do. And that's part of it. It's going, well, they don't directly generate revenue, but they put the systems in place to generate revenue. And so we track all that. I certainly do with my small company. When you're on your own, you can make a lot of money. That's the biggest benefit. You can also make nothing. When you work for another company, you have a guaranteed income, but you do not have security. If you go very back, all the way back to the beginning of my blog post, the very first post I put on years and years ago was about, do you really think you have job security? The answer is you don't. Most people are discovering, and many more people discovered during the pandemic crisis that your company isn't really looking out for you. People are getting furloughed. People are getting their medical insurance canceled at a time when they're most reliant on it because things could go bad. And you discover that companies and businesses and bosses are selfish. They look out for themselves first. We're all narcissists as much as we deny it. If you didn't want to be your own boss, if you didn't want to make more money, if you didn't want to give your family and yourself a better life, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. You wouldn't read my blog posts. You would have no interest in my books. The mistaken belief that your boss cares about you is why so many people work for jobs where they're underpaid. They're passionate about the business or they want to help their boss succeed, but they don't realize that it's a one-way loyalty. Very rarely in our society do we have two-way loyalty or chivalry anymore. It's kind of disappeared. So we get caught up in this belief system that, oh, you know what? If I work for this big company, they'll take care of me. And then you get sick or then there's a downturn. I've seen this happen at large corporations. A large corporation overall is losing money. The divisions that are profitable will have to fire 10% of their staff just like everyone else. Even though they're making the most money, they're the most profitable division. And I've seen this a lot in my lifetime. If the other company, the other divisions aren't holding up, they'll just fire 10% across the board. They'll say, you got to fire 10% of your staff. And if you refuse to do it, then we'll fire you. They say that to the CEOs and the vice presidents, however their corporate structure is. Think about that. You can be doing your job, doing it excellently, but because someone else around the world who you've never met isn't doing their job, you get fired, even though you hit your numbers. This is how large corporations work. They're soulless. This is why we talk about the idea of corporate raiders. People will buy a company, fire a ton of the staff to make it seem like the company is more profitable, and then they'll quickly sell it. They go, oh, look at how much we've increased profits. Of course, then the company collapses a few years later. All those people lose their jobs because... Someone else just bought a company that can't sustain itself. The reason it looked so profitable is because they didn't have any staff. There's just as much risk in entrepreneurship as there is in any other form of employment. We've just been educated and miseducated to believe that. It's something different, but it's not. They're the same. The risk is still there. There are so many things outside your control that can kill your income stream when you work for someone else. We just don't think about it. And all those safety nets, whether it's the health insurance, the life insurance, the legal support, all those things that are in place, those disappear if you become a liability. If you're not sure if I'm talking about the truth, let me ask you a question. Imagine you go into work tomorrow and your boss says, hey, I just found out that one of us has to get fired. I can either fire you or I can subtract your salary from mine and take a massive pay cut. What do you think your boss is going to do? If you think your boss is going to take that pay cut, boy, I want you working for me. Because it's hard to find people that are that gullible. I promise you, your boss does not want to pay you out of their own pocket. In fact, businesses are built on a very simple strategy. The goal of every business owner, every boss is to keep their employees in a perpetual state of anarchy. 
They want to keep you in between hope and fear. Hope of a raise, fear of getting fired. They have to keep you in between those two numbers. If there's no hope or no possibility of a raise, you'll look for a job somewhere else. If there's no fear of getting fired, you'll ask for raises all the time. I'm actually dealing with that right now. Sometimes people ask for a raise at a really inappropriate time or in a way that doesn't come across right. And so then you have to figure out how to deal with it. And it can be complicated because you want to take care of everyone on your team. I find hiring people to be a very time intensive process. You know, posting the ad, going through the applications, putting people through all the tests. My entire hiring process, which we talked about in a previous episode, yeah, we have it all in place. And then once we hire someone, which can take about a month, it takes three months to train them properly. And guys, if you hear some ball bouncing noise in the background, that's just my oldest son having a bit of fun in the garden. Certainly don't want to stop him from having a good time. Just part of island life. Your boss will never pay you what you're worth. If a boss paid every single employee what they're worth, the company would be break even. There will be no profit because you would simply divide it up evenly or based on percentages for what people have done. We'd be operating like a pirate ship. On a pirate ship, the captain has a specific share, then each person below them has a share, and they're all divided up in different ways, but there's nothing left over for operating funds. Businesses aren't run like pirate ships. So if you think you're getting paid what you're worth, you're not. You can do the exact same thing, and if you work independently or as a contractor, you'll get an immediate pay raise. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look at any government employee, whether you're a soldier, whether you're a spy, whether you're an analyst. The second you leave the government's employee, and take a job still working for the government, but as a consultant or through a private contractor, your pay will double or triple. The exact same soldiers are fighting the exact same battles around the world, but as soon as they change out of the federal government's uniform and into a private uniform, their pay gets doubled or tripled. Now, a lot of people in the military, sure, they look down on that. I totally understand that. But what I see is that our regular soldiers and our regular federal employees are underpaid. Why should someone get paid more when they're not working for your company, but they're a contractor? It's just the way it is. So when you work for yourself, when you become a consultant, a coach, a private employee, or an independent bookkeeper, whatever it is you're doing, as soon as you stop working for someone else, your pay goes up because now you don't have to give your boss that percentage they've been taking, the difference between you and hope. You actually get paid what you're worth. Now, I want to take you through the first steps of starting your business now that we've done that long introduction. The first step is to be ready to operate without a net. This is an emotional and mental decision to realize that there is no one else there, that if you make a mistake, you can't blame someone else, that if things go wrong, you can't raid another department or ask your boss or your employees to help you. You're on your own. You have to start operating in a completely different way. And this is something that you'll go through in phases. The first phase is where you're doing something on the side, whether you call it a side hustle or a side job, or you're starting your own side business. It's just you. You're a solopreneur. You're operating alone. So you have to learn how to operate without anyone else there who's on your team. That's the first phase. Then you have to start building a team behind you. And it's very, very different being a part of a team and leading a team. The responsibility and the stresses are different. The hours I work, I'm still getting used to. Most of what gets accomplished at my company within Serve No Master is not done by me at this point. How could it be? There's 11 people that work for me. By the time you're hearing this, that number might be higher. So how could one person do the same as all that? So even though what I do is the highest value things I can do, whether it's setting up partnerships, setting up deals, creating promotions, recording these episodes, creating content, creating products, all those things are high value. But more and more tasks that I used to do, I pass on to someone else. And then we're going to talk about SOPs and how to push tasks down to your team in a later episode. The first thing you have to really think about is that it's all on me. That if something works, it's a massive success and I get the cheering. And if something doesn't work and it falls down, it's all me. There's no one else looking out for me. There's no one else to blame. And that's hard. A lot of us, we don't like to take the blame. We want to be in a situation where we can enjoy some of the success or suffer the emotional turmoil of getting blamed if something is wrong. So the fear of failure, and not the fear of actually failing, but the fear of how we'll feel if we fail, holds us back from taking action. So you have to overcome that mental barrier. The second is you have to separate the way you perceive entertainment and business. If you're listening to this right now and you're entertained, that's not good. 
that means that you're a hobbyist and that you're in the wrong mindset, that you see this as a game or entertainment budget. I have a friend, and I've told this story before because it still blows my mind. This happened quite a few years ago. He had a two-bedroom apartment. He had a really big job, so he made a lot of money, certainly more money than I'd ever thought I'd make. Turned out I was wrong, but he had a second bedroom. And I went to stay with this place. I go, oh, I'll just stay in your second bedroom. I walk in there, and there's just a pile of infomercial fitness equipment and boxes of DVDs. And I said, what happened? I'm talking hundreds of DVD boxes. And I started going through them. I was so curious. I go, what is all this stuff? I started looking through things and it was things like, you know, that exercise machine you stand on and it just shakes you. I don't know what it's actually called, but I call it a shaker. And he had one of those and he had some other stuff like that I'd seen in infomercials, but obviously they'd never been used. And almost every single DVD was still in the original plastic wrap. It was still protected from the environment. So he had all this information that he'd never absorbed. And that's because he saw it as entertainment. Some of the content in there was really good. I actually went through one of the DVD series in there while I was staying with him. Boy, I learned a lot. It was really cool. Some of the stuff was really, really good. A lot of it's from people that are my contemporaries or my competitors. Some of it's not. He had stuff across the whole spectrum. Everything from how to start a business, how to be better at conversation, to recce healing and everything in between. He had a whole wide range of interests. And what happens is when you're not using your business mind, when you're using your entertainment budget, you approach money differently. When I'm thinking about going to a movie, I look at what the movie costs. Can I afford it? When I'm spending business money, I say, will I get the money back on this investment? Right now, I'm actually thinking about this piece of software that I use. It's $250 a month. That's $3,000 a year. I'm thinking to myself, can I downgrade that software right now? I'm thinking about it. I'm on the fence, but I'm constantly thinking, am I getting back my return on my investment? And it depends. We're actually testing some things. It might become something that's crucial. It might be something we can downgrade. And I'm going to have that conversation with Paris today because I forgot to bring it up this morning. If you don't know who Paris is, she runs most of the company right now. She started off as an intern and now she's my number two. She only works me half of the week because the other half of the week, she's her own boss. She's building her own company parallel to working with me. She's learning while working with me and she's building something getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's okay. You can be an entrepreneur while working for someone else and you can grow, but you have to separate your entertainment from your business budget mindset. So every time you're investing, whether it's time, money, resources, knowledge, into a project, you have to see it that way. When I was young, I bought my dad a ship in a bottle. He did not think that was funny. I was like, oh, my dad needs a new hobby. He never finished it. Why? Because it was in the hobby category. It was in the entertainment category. It's the same thing with people who buy giant Lego sets and never finish them, or whether you do or you don't, doesn't affect your bottom line. All it does is affect how you feel. There are a lot of these video games now that are walking simulators or delivery simulators. And what you do is you walk across a wasteland or walk around a city delivering packages. Guess what? That's a real job. But people get a false sense of accomplishment by playing these games, and they're usually aware of it. It's not they don't know, but they like it, right? It's a form of escapism from their regular job because at least there's no consequences, which brings us back to number one, right? Where people operating without a net, there's all these consequences. Now we can pretend to start a business, and there's no net. I played a game in early to mid-90s where you were a stock trader during the 19, late 1930s, you know, before Black Tuesday when the stock market collapsed, and you knew when it was coming. And so you do all these strategic things. And as you would make more money on your deals, you could make your office look nicer and nicer and nicer. And obviously, that's a precursor to what happens in a lot of games now, like Sims games and investing games and stuff. And it's fun to play poker or to invest without using real money. It's all artificial. But you have to turn off that entertainment mindset. You have to think of every penny you spend as something coming out of your body. So when I spend money every week, here's how it works. I have a whole bunch of automated bills. I have a whole bunch of things that are automated. I was actually on the phone last night with my bank because they were like, we want to interview you about how you use our bank because they're trying to expand. They wanted some feedback from me. So I had like a, a Zoom call with three people at the bank and the marketing department and the project management department and the growth department, the tech department. They were asking me all these questions because I'm a very, very active user. In my bank, it's Novo. I'm a big fan of them. I've had a really good experience with them. And I'm going to talk about banking in a later episode of the Be Your Own Boss series. But I don't want to make you wait 
for a later episode to find out the answer. So the bank I use is Novo, N-O-V-O. If you go to servemaster.com slash Novo, they're going to sort you out, take really good care of you because they'll know you came from me. And so I'll use my relationship to make sure they watch out for you. But just switching to that mindset means that when I spend money on the automated payments or when I pay my staff every week, that money comes out of me, comes out of the business account. And I look at it that way. And then I pay my own salary into my separate account, my personal account. But I watch all that stuff. And it's very, very different. I don't think of that money as entertainment money. I don't take business account money and go to the movies with my wife, which does bring us to step number three, which is to start a business bank account and fund it. I have two business bank accounts right now. Originally, I was using Chase, terrible experience, always getting totally drilled on fees. They were charging me thousands of dollars every year in fees, really bad experience. I would have to call support anywhere from 10 to 20 times a week because they kept forgetting that I live internationally. And I found this company, Novo, had a really good experience. So I use Novo and I have a backup business account with Mercury. And you can go to servemaster.com slash Mercury and check them out. Those are the two banks that I use, primary and backup. So I was like, oh, if I'm going to close my Chase accounts, I want to have a backup in place. And even though I have closed my Chase accounts, they're still a little bit annoying me. And I'm like, I just want to end this relationship, guys. I just want to stop working with you because everything about the experience has been overpriced. Sure, I'm great. I'm sure it's great if you're a multi-million dollar company and you have you know, $50 million in the bank account, then you want that level of banking, you're doing all that sophisticated stuff, but I'm not buying and selling apartment buildings. So for small and medium sized businesses, this new level of fintech companies is really, really useful. And the beauty of starting with a place like Novo or any of these smaller things is that they're designed for startups, they're designed for small companies that have small amounts of money, can't afford to pay all the fees because it really crushes their business. Imagine if you just had to pay four or $5,000 in bank fees every year. For most of us, and it would be devastating for me, that's like another employee, that's someone else I could give employment to. And so by switching from a bank that takes advantage of me, and that's what's good about this is there's no minimum balance. The reason I'm recommending these two banks is there's no minimum balance. You can put $100 in there, whatever your fee is, and you go, okay, this is how much money I can afford. Maybe you can say every month out of my paycheck, I can put $100 in this bank account. And now you have a real budget. Now you're going, this is what I can afford to spend. Whether it's on courses, training, software, technology, tools, training, whatever, events, all that stuff, you now have a business account and you feel different. When you spend money on your business account, you have a business bank account card, it feels different. That's an entirely different process. And that's really, really important. Step four is to track your time. There's a very, very important question. And this is something I've struggled with for years. And that is, what is an hour of your time worth? I charge $500 an hour for one-on-one coaching. So that's the what I bill for an hour of my time. That's what I feel like an hour of my expertise is worth. And yet, sometimes I'll sit there and go, shouldn't I just format this blog post? I could pay someone else to do it. So definitely less than $500 an hour. And so sometimes we look at, oh, I'm saving I'm saving $10 by doing the small task myself. And this is a scaling issue. And I've talked about this in some previous episodes, but when you don't have a really clear idea of what your time is worth, you're going to have a lot of problems in growing and scaling your business. At the beginning, you have to start by tracking your time. You have to see how much time do I put into my business? How long does each task take me to perform? So before you know what your time is worth out in the world, you can say, okay, at my day job, let's just say you get paid $15 an hour. Keep it simple. You get $15 an hour in your day job. You're at home. There's a task working on your blog. It takes you three hours to complete this task. That's $45 that you could have made if you'd spent the exact same amount of time at work. Okay. 15 times three is $45. You paid someone else to do it. They would be $5 an hour. So it would cost you $15 an hour. So you didn't save $15. You lost $30. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard for me. Even at this point in my career to think of it that way. I'm working on tasks all the time and I go, why am I doing this? Now, my employees have a range of salaries depending upon their level of expertise, how long they've been with me, how many hours they work, all of those things. We have a really complicated structure because everyone gets hired in a different way based on their experience and qualifications and all of those things, as I'm sure you can understand. And sometimes I push tasks down. I go, oh, I don't want to push it down to my most expensive employee. But he has the best job and he's the fastest. That's the reason he's the most expensive. So sometimes I'll push it down to someone who's a little bit less expensive per hour. And then I regret it. I'm like, oh, they took two hours, what he would have done in one hour. So actually, that's how this decision-making calculus grows. 
you have to track your time. How much time are you putting investing in your business? I use this software called Time Doctor to track my team because how else do I know what 11 people are doing all week? How else can I see how many hours they work and pay them? And it lets me kind of manage it all within their dashboard. It's really, really good, really helpful. And as always, we have a link to anything I mentioned in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. And they have an option to track your own time usage. The issue with that for me is that most of my time in this business is time I spend not on the computer. How can I track the time I'm doing right now when I'm outside in the garden recording into my phone, right? So I do anywhere from... 25 to 50% of the day is on the computer. The rest is all off the computer. But it can be when you're starting out and you're doing a lot of computer time, find some system to track how many hours you're putting in. Because if you don't know, then you can't grow. Knowledge is so powerful. As we go forward in this series about being your own boss and how to take control of your destiny, is that the more data you have, the more you understand where money and time are going, the easier it is to succeed. It's the people that have no idea that fail the fastest. I don't want that for you. Step number five is to choose a business model and make a logical decision. In the previous series about generating more sales, we talked a lot about how to create an emotional buying decision and how I strive myself to make logical buying decisions. When you're choosing a business model, what you want to look at is, is this something I could see myself doing for the next 10 years? Am I excited by the process or am I excited by the promise? The process is the steps that will take you to get to the financial reward. The promise is how much money they say you can make if you do really good. Here's a secret. If you don't enjoy the process, you probably won't receive the promise. There are other business models that I could delve into. I have opportunities and I could probably increase my revenue, but I wouldn't like doing it, which means I wouldn't put in the hours. So then I probably wouldn't increase my revenue. I was having a conversation with one of my friends the other day who is really doing well with a Facebook ads campaign, but he's spending a lot of money. He goes, oh, to do testing, you have to have this level of investment. And I'm not there yet. I said, you know what? I'm putting most of my investment in these areas of my business, which is staff and content. So it's not that his business model doesn't work. It's just not right for me. Because what I'm trying to build is something a little bit different. Now, I may open up a branch going in that direction sometime in the next year, but I have to deploy my time and resources in a very specific way. And so I found a business model that I like. So my logical decision is it meets my needs. It's adaptable in the way that I need. It meets all the Hydra business requirements because it is the core Hydra business, which means it's strong, it's unkillable, it's adaptable. So the things I look for in a business, the things that I talk about in our episode about how to adapt to and have a recession-proof business. It's the ability to adapt to changes and surprises in the market. That's important to me. So while I see what my friend is doing and it's awesome, I don't see it as an entire business model because it has a single point of failure. If the platform where he's buying ads raises their prices or they stop letting him buy ads on there, then he's gone. And he has multiple branches in his business as well. But it's just we were talking about different ways we're growing and he's doing one thing, I'm doing something else. But we do a lot of projects together. So you have to make a logical decision that looks at, is this something I can see myself doing? Can I understand this process? Or... Is this something that just gets me excited and I'd love to be making all that money and I haven't really paid attention to the mechanics? Every single business model is hard. I'm going to tell you that right now. Even though there are a lot of promises out there that says this is so easy, you don't have to do any hard work, it's push button. It's not true. Every single business model has something about it that's hard or challenging. That's why there's revenue there. If it's really, really easy, then everyone can do it and the market collapses. What you experience is a price drop. This is something that happened in my environment. At the beginning, in my wife and I, we moved into this hotel in the middle of 2018. We took over a hotel nine days after the birth of my second son. We'd been negotiating it for months. We were out of town for two months to have the baby. We stayed near our hospital, which is not on my island. We had our son. We came back nine days later and we took over a business. We ran the business for 18 months. And what happened during those 18 months is we went from five competitors to 500. At our peak, we were charging $20 a night. And when we decided to close our doors was when everyone else was competing in a race to the bottom and charging $2 a night to $4 a night. So we reassess and I talked to my children. I said, hey guys, while it's cool to have this secondary business, we can either have a small hotel or a really, really big family home. 
And I said, what we would do is take the front room uh, dormitory, which had sick bunk beds. And I said, we'll take those bunk beds and we'll sell them. And we did. We got back our entire investment on those bunk beds. My wife did an amazing job finding a buyer within one day. And we turned it into an awesome playground with my kids. And now they have a slide, which they've always dreamed of. So we made this bigger decision, but it comes down to that barrier. When there's no barrier, then you can enter a market and the price just collapses because anyone could do it. Anyone could throw bunk beds in their house and everyone did. And so the price dropped 90%. And so we exited that market. We may re-enter when the price self-collects, when the market self-corrects over the next few years. Unfortunately, my business is not in an easy to enter market. So you don't want to do a business model that's super easy because then anyone can do it and then the price will, and the bottom will drop out of that market. Number six is to follow that plan and to hit your first goal. Now, I encourage everyone who encounters me and goes to my programs to read my books and to go through my live Project Hydra training to see if that's the right system for you because I believe it's a powerful system that can work for many people. And if you do choose that system, I encourage you to follow it to the end because you'll have big success. What I don't want you to do, even though it's cool for me as an affiliate, is to buy five different really expensive programs and not go through any of them because then you won't have any success. That's not what I want. I want to make money and for you to succeed. I want both things to happen. And so I want you to choose whatever your business model is. It doesn't have to be mine. 90% of the people who encounter my business models and the other ones that I share with them choose someone else's. And that's okay. Because there's certain things I'm not really good at. If you want to do drop shipping, if you want to do e-commerce, if you want to sell physical products on Amazon, guess what? I'm not good at those things. If you want to really get into traffic arbitrage and buying and selling traffic on Amazon, YouTube, Facebook, or other platforms, I'm not the right person. My job is then to introduce you to the right person. Say, you know what? I'm not an expert. This is my friend who is. If you really want to get into e-commerce, then I would introduce you to my friend Jack, who's doing amazing in e-commerce. He's really, really built this entire system and had massive success. And we've known each other for 10 years. He was my first intern and now he's massively successful. It's very exciting. I love watching people that started their journey with me and are now just soaring like eagles in the sky. But the important thing is to not get distracted by other plans. Once you choose a plan, follow it, stick with the plan. Now, not every plan works. Not every plan will work for you. But a big part of it is that most people quit in the first two to three weeks. We try something, we watch a couple of videos, you know, this isn't right for me. We don't really give it a full try. And that's unfortunate because you can have massive success when you do. So those are the six steps to take when you decide to be your own boss. Those are the first steps that I want you to take to put your mind in the right place and to start putting a strategy in place. That is to be ready to operate without a net, separate entertainment from business, start a business bank account and fund it, track how you invest your time, choose a business model and make a logical decision to follow it and then to follow that plan until you hit your first goal to where you see if that actually works for you. And as you're starting, your first step may have an intermediary step. You have to make a decision right now and that is are you gonna be a a freelancer, a consultant or sell stuff? One of the fastest ways to be your own boss is to say, here's what I do right now for a company. I'm going to hang up a shingle and do it on my own. There's a lot to be said for hanging up your own shingle. This is what lawyers do. You can either join a really large firm, which has the advantage of they have tons of clients and they have all this work coming in. The disadvantage is you don't get paid a lot. You have to spend years working your way up to partner and then you have to work your way up to senior partner and all these other things. So there's a process there and that can be good. It's the right thing for some people. But boy, if you take control of your own destiny, you open up your own office, then yes, everything is on you. Everything from the cost of paper and photocopying ink and electricity to your secretary or your assistant's salary to long distance phone calls, all those pieces, all those different bills are suddenly on you. But boy, when you close a good client, when you grow, you don't have to give 80 or 90% of that money to someone else. You're operating without a net. So immediately going into freelancing is a way to boost your income and give you a feel for what it's like to be operating without a net, to be working on your own. The next phase is when you go into consulting, instead of doing, you help other people do it. Occasionally, I do consulting. I don't do a lot of consulting. I do do coaching. Consulting, in my mind, at least, maybe you have a different definition, is more when you work with a larger company, you kind of give them a whole bunch of things. My experience is that whenever I work with these larger companies, unless I massively overcharge them up front, 
I'm disappointed by the relationship. I don't like working with them. You find out the person you're talking to is not a decision maker. I don't want to have conversations with three people before I'm finally talking to the person that they can actually write the check or not. That doesn't interest me. I like to deal with decision makers because that's what I am. So you can do the freelancing phase, which is where you just take what you're doing and keep doing it, but you're kind of in control. The middle phase, the middle option, which is where you're a consultant. So you're working with companies or individual people and kind of talking about what you used to do and giving advice based on your expertise. And the third iteration, which is where I spend most of my time, most of my revenue is where you create products and services or trainings that you sell. And so your focus is almost completely on sales. If you look at each of these in the freelancing, it's like 90% do, 10% sales. Consulting is about 50-50. And then sales is about 10% do and then 90% sales, 90% selling it. So you can see where you want to fit on that spectrum. And you may start like I did at the left and work your way to the right. You say, I'm going to start doing freelancing. So I start building revenue, get used to being my own boss, see what it feels like to have a little more responsibility. And I'm going to start taking what I do, turning it into processes that I can teach other people. And once I get good at teaching other people, then I'm going to record those training sessions and sell them. That's how you go across that three, those three spectrums. And that's how you can be your own boss. And those are the first steps you need to follow when you decide to start your own business. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back next Tuesday with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you Tuesday. Are you ready to make your first dollar online? Grab my free guide, how to make $1,000 this month at servemaster.com front slash 1K.